Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 22nd of November 2015. Now I won't go into the Parisian slaughter because everyone else has done it anyway and at this stage of the game you'll never know. Even in the next stage of the game, you'll never know what really was behind it all. Because so many things were ongoing at that particular time, it caused a tremendous diversion, which is either fortunate or planned, if you can take your pick of what you want to believe, by those who are ramming through the whole new global order system. There are too many nations with their secret services all over the planet, with their own goals, of course, and the simplest reason is generally the, the best reason. Who has most to lose and who has most to gain, basically? Uh, what enemy or whose enemy must be eradicated uh, by making war across the entire Middle East? It's generally fairly simple. And so we live through uh, a quagmire, really, of uh, Machiavellian processes from so many different sources that all you, all you can really say is uh, that um, we're in for an awful long and probably perpetual rough ride of world terrorism. It seems to be that way because, as we know, uh, they're definitely, this is an old, old scam, actually, of bringing in mass refugees. has happened down through history. And during the Soviet Union, for instance, many of them came across to Britain and Europe and uh, or they were fleeing the Nazis or, or whatever, and many of them were actually spies, and they were watched, of course, too. So it's an old, old thing, not just spies, but saboteurs, and this goes on and on. You cannot bring in on mass immigration people from another country who definitely have a grudge and not expect anything to happen. And apart from that, too, it has bigger geopolitical repercussions because there are those who want to destroy the face of Europe forever, basically. And they've been quite open about it, too. You know, you can only get into the huffing and puffing and indignancy contest about what's happening today if you've already swallowed the lies that at one time you were free. If you'd never had such misconceptions, then it doesn't surprise you at all especially if you've studied long-term planning and goals in micro-geopolitics. And we know, too, for instance, we live through a process of free trade deals, for instance, very old agenda. I won't go into it again because it's so old. I've gone through the history of the group that started it up in London to do with a, a, making a common trade system across the planet. They wanted three trading blocks, just like Karl Marx, in fact, and they basically ran the British government behind the scenes and from within. And throughout the civil service, too, they had a tremendous sway. It's awfully important to have the civil service on your side. And you put in your key players in there, too. I've gone through the Trilateral Commission. There's, there's a higher division, a more specialized division of the CFR, Council of Foreign Relations, and Royal Chief of International Affairs, all private organizations which run governments across the planet. And their trick, of course, is never to is to try to keep in the in the shadows if they can. And for a long, long time, they did awfully well at that. Today, they're more open about it. I've already mentioned that um, these ongoing free trade deals are for the big giant 
international corporations. And they are really the super government to an extent. They're in on the act, put it that way. And, the, of course, the financiers at the very, very top of everything and the guys that hold the money bags run the whole show. There's no doubt about that because everything in our system that we're given for thousands of years is based on cash and money. Of all, any form, it doesn't matter what it is, even promissory notes, it doesn't make any difference. That's what everyone runs on, including your governments. So we're well into this system of secret free trade deals, uh, always with the intention of amalgamating countries into blocks and then into continents. And they want three for the world. And they want, again, a super parliament to, to run it down the road, which is almost there because the United Nations, as a front organization set up by, again, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, etc. And they're a front group, basically, to bring in a radically different world from the one the most folk are used to. And they have a radical future for everyone. It's all planned. We don't have any say in the matter. We don't have any democracy of any kind. And even today, the debate is still raging. Would even democracy work at all? Because democracy is all special interest groups today, of course, as you well know. And the biggest voices, they get, they're all on board with the United Nations, all members with the United Nations, are used uh, as a massive army funded by your tax money and the big international corporation boys with their front foundations that fund all these NGOs. So we're living through a, a well-planned, very old system, and it bypasses what you think of as democracy. Uh, democracy to the average person is sensational, or sensationalism, of course, to give you, oh, uh, gender equality, then gender mixing, and and then change your gender, all that stuff. It keeps you all busy yapping and arguing as the big boys uh, with their real, real world changers uh, drastically and forever change the face of the planet as customs, systems, and histories. Now, I've done talks in the past where I've gone through all of the histories of the Sherpas. The Sherpas are the ones appointed who know the complete world agenda, who work a good part of their life often for the big private institutions, again, that bring us globalism. And they know where it's all to go and its interconnecting parts. They themselves set up the free trade deals. They do all the legwork. It takes some years sometimes, full time. And they go across and make sure they can build consensus across all the parties involved long before the events happen, long before the public even know that there, there's going to be even such events happening and such signing going on of these, into law, into your national laws, of these particular deals, which I view as private deals. It affects all of us, but it's private. We're in a new feudalism. I've said it for years it's a more sophisticated form of feudalism because the public are still told all the time that they're free. I used to laugh at Bertrand Russell saying the same thing, that each person will, in each country will think they live in the best country in the world because their government will keep telling them so. And it's so true. It really, really works. There's different layers of propaganda 
and even the simplest kind works awfully effectively on people. And as I've said for years too, it's mainly through fiction and movies and so on, you get so much of it. Uh, they show you the, the perfect citizen of whatever country it is in their movies, and they're the hero and, and or heroine or whoever it happens to be. So it's an old, old formula. You all know how it happens and how it works and so on. And even when you watch a lot of people who have that trait in them, already indoctrinated very well, uh, will feel such pride in the fiction, in the movie, when the hero wins against the bad guys, whoever they happen to be. But these Sherpas, I've, I've often wondered what particular international, global Sherpa school they go to that teaches them to be Sherpas. But you'll find there are commonalities between them. I always say that. You must look for commonalities. And you can't shy away if something makes you feel uncomfortable with any of them at all. You, because it's basic detective work. What detective would ever say, well, I, I didn't look into this or that, even though I could see the commonalities between suspects, uh, he'd, he'd lose his job, for goodness sake. Or do they actually do that? Maybe sometimes the day they do. So Sherpas really are sent out, as I say, years in advance. They work with the big panels which create the treaties and, and they go back for a review and reassessment and back with the new ones and so on, long before the final one is signed into, into law. And they know too just like the Royal Institute for International Affairs knows uh, that once something's on the books, you simply keep expanding it, all the laws, keep expanding them to include, include, includes, until it's all-encompassing. Very old again, a technique, and it's always, it always works. Now, again, go into cuttingtreatmatrix.com, archive section, and you'll listen to the talks I've given years ago on the Sherpas, etc., and they had different names for them in the day too Because after, I think the last time A, a few years back when I talked about the Sherpas uh, I think they changed their names Anyway You'll find, for instance When this whole prison thing took over All the headlines everywhere uh, you find that the G20 were meeting Turkey, November 15, 16 And then the ASEAN summit The A-S-E-A-N summit uh, Held in Kuala Lumpur uh, 21st November 2015 And that's the Association of Southeast Asian Nations Again for trading blocks you see into this global system And you'll find too uh, that COP21 Is still heavily being worked by the Sherpas Because it's the big one It pulls everything, trade, climate change nonsense And all your carbon taxes and your carbon trading and the way you're going to live in the future, all your penalties for, for using or giving off carbon. And so that's all going to at least come out once they sign it all. They keep expanding it, of course, as you well know. They probably won't do something so drastic initially once they've passed the particular COP21 agreement. Uh, and that's the United Nations Framework on Climate Change, which has always been changing, of course, as we know. But it's a great con because uh, everything is banked on on this particular meeting, this final meeting, or this part of it, anyway. Uh, and that's November 30th, December 11th, 2015. So, COP simply means Conference of Parties. Isn't that really detailed for you? And you may hear little references. They'll mention on the news, perhaps. I don't know. I don't watch television. I haven't done it for years. COP21. 
and they'll leave it in that. Probably won't even explain what it is or what it's about. That's how they generally, if they tell you anything at all, that's all they do tell you. They don't want you involved in any uh, discussions about what's actually happening. And that's the way they do it. In fact, many of these Sherpas have come out and publicly and said it's best if the public are kept in the dark about these agreements as they're ongoing and uh, leave it to the professionals. Isn't that what they tell us about everything today? Leave it to the professionals. That's exactly how it is, isn't it? The experts. And of course, when they don't tell the public, it's because it's rather nefarious and you're going to get plundered mightily and your whole way of life is going to change forever. That's what they're on about, really. That's the reason it's secret. Never mind who benefits from it, too. And believe you me, everything is run on a feudal system where the big money boys grab more power through more money. And that's what it's about. Money is it's power, you see. As governments go cap in hand to the central banks for more cash for their national welfare socialist systems. You'll always find that the big movers and shakers are members of the Trilateral Commission, this private organization that's really, uh, as I say, a specialized branch uh, of the Council on Foreign Relations, CFR. And again, going back to all issue of international affairs, it's all the same bunch, you see, especially trained for the roles you have to play in bringing about this global governance system. And it really is a global government system. They lied about the League of Nations, for instance, and its intentions. At the time, of course, were more open about what they wanted it to be. Uh, but that eventually blossomed into the United Nations, then the World War II. So you have um, uh, the usual spiels they wrote at the time that you'll have a, a sort of parliament of parliaments, you might say. And they told them just for the tete-a-tetes and so on so that each sovereign nation could remain sovereign. They had no intention of making them, keeping them sovereign. They always intended to, to amalgamate the countries together, just like they did with the whole of Europe in your own lifetime. And uh, the same things to do with the Americas, and the same thing with the, the Far Eastern Pacific Rim nations as well, under the Asian, etc., that's another trading block. And again, a super parliament as well. And with each agreement they sign, uh, you lose your sovereignty, more and more of your sovereignty. And your, your laws bind you together. And common, a common law passed through them all means that you're all under the same lawful system, which means government, basically, you see. So anyway, it's been an old, old goal of these organizations, but the Sherpas are, are trilateral members, even though when they go into office or hold any uh, appointed office, they often say they drop uh, their membership for that period because uh, there have been complaints in the past about them from people who looked into what the Trilateral Commission was all about, and they're sworn for world government, sworn into it. That's what it's about. And they can help themselves in the process financially, uh, as, as always, of course, and things like that. But here's an article here just to give an idea of how it works, too. And this, this is a, from the Philippines, actually, the Daily Inquirer. And it says, U.S. Trade Representative Michael Froman has urged trade ministers from the Asia-Pacific Economic Member Economies to follow through on the different global trade agreements and the crucial efforts being made to set a new agenda, all aimed at securing sustainable 
and inclusive growth across the region. While citing the Philippines' significant contribution and leadership in steering the APEC meetings towards current challenges faced by the region, Froman stressed the need to stay the course and maintain progress towards creating greater opportunity for our people. Now, remember, too, that this private club, a very old private club, uh, had different names before it was called the particular modern name, Trilateral Commission. Uh, these, these characters have members in every nation across the world today. So within every nation for an awful long time, you've had dedicated sworn members for globalism uh, melding the countries together, completely losing their sovereignty under the new global system and a new way of life totally again too. It's not democratic by any means. It was never intended to be democratic. It's intended to be run by what they call the specialists, the experts, the scientists, and even the economic scientists, as they call this bogus system of money that's uh, running our lives and ruining our lives too, perhaps. But um, here's a character, see, Michael Froman. And it says... um, the Trade Facilitation Agreement, Information Technology Agreement, see all these agreements, eh? and the Environmental Goods Agreement all started at APEC, A-P-A-E-C, A-P-E-C, that's, that's the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation. It says, and APEC economies have a responsibility for driving their conclusion, Froman said, at the APEC ministerial meeting in Manila. I think the U.S. has the most members of Trilateral Commission. You don't vote on these characters because they're, it's a private, uh, and very secretive, by the way, organization. Uh, you have to be asked to be a member of it, just like the CFR, Council of Foreign Relations. And if you have the right stuff, as they say, uh, and you're willing to shaft the public across the planet, then you'll get the job if you can keep your mouth shut, you know. So anyway, it says, with regard to the trade facilitation agreement, half the APEC economies have yet to ratify the agreement. On the information technology agreement, we can all work together to finalise the tariff staging agreement, and that's taxation. On the environmental goods agreement, I hope first we can all meet our obligations agreed to by our leaders to cut our tariffs below 5% by the end of the year on a list of goods but also work together at the World Trade Organization, their private organization. Those of us who are involved there uh, to agree on the scope of, the aver- of coverage on that agreement as well, you said. The TFA formed part of the Bali package adopted by the WTO members at the 9th Ministerial Conference held in Bali, Indonesia, December 2013. Now, Froman also cited the progress made by the Philippines with regards to the agenda of the micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises towards enabling them to significantly participate in global value chains and international trade. Improvement of supply chain management by 10% roadmap for electric vehicles. That's their, their big agenda, again. Principles for advertising standards, a general structural reform, and on the efforts to improve the ease of doing business. Now remember, under the World Trade Organization, this all staffed again by trilateral members, uh, then uh, the, the so-called rich countries, even though you're, you're declining your post-industrial and so on, and you're up to in debt, 
uh, must pay for the smaller countries uh, to come up by building them the infrastructure with your tax money. Uh, and they can be classed as third world nations for years to come, even 30 years. China still, I think, is under that too. And they can uh, tax your goods for going into their country, but you can uh, tax them for their goods coming into your country. And it goes on too about uh, humanitarian goods and so on, about property rights and so on, where we all agreed to share best practice on trade secrets. So the big boys at the top steal all the trade secrets, of course, and all patents and everything else as well, which is old stuff. And it says, let me conclude by mentioning uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreements, as many others have, and thanking my fellow ministers, there you are, for their dedication and their efforts to bring that to a close. Welcome the interest of other economies in that process, while well, showcase their members in the heads of those countries as well, uh, and this private organization of trilateral groups. Remember as well that when they appointed prime ministers straight from the central bank in Europe uh, into Greece and Italy, uh, both of those guys were trilateral members too. So you'd always find the trilateralists in the vanguard of this big Sworn to globalism plan, you see. They're all sworn to it. And they're well well paid uh, on the path to it as well for themselves. Another article, too, says, In this country we can now have a fully informed debate about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. This is the joke after WikiLeaks uh, came out with a lot of it. And uh, it's a conversation with uh, U.S. Trade Representative Michael Froman, again, the trilateral member as in uh, defends the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And as I say, in this country, we can now have a fully informed debate about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Now, they weren't going to tell us for at least four years, but we could at least slip out some of it. Since the U.S. has released the text of the trade deal, it includes the U.S. and 11 other Pacific nations, from Chile to Malaysia to Japan. Because it affects American jobs and America's place in the world, it affects us or all of Canada too, everybody. The debate cuts across party lines. What well, does? Because the trilateral doesn't bother with parties. Uh, it says, and in the coming days, as Congress prepares to vote on the deal, we'll hear more about more than one voice. The American who negotiated the deal is President Obama's trade representative, Michael Froman. He wants to reassure Americans who are worried about losing jobs to globalization. Well, that's been the past up, up until now with the involvement of these trilateralists with their big global plans and Council on Foreign Relations, of course, wanting to amalgamate the whole of the Americas, uh, etc. And giving all your jobs off to China years ago. All your factories were all uprooted. We paid, the taxpayers paid for them under the deal to uproot their factories and place them in China. Reassemble them there, basically. And when you pay them for 10, I think it was 10 years, was a trade deal that they did then through WTO, uh, that uh, if they said they'd lost any money in the process over 10 years, they, they could literally get massive funding to continue by the taxpayer, you see, to prop them up. As they made you poor and turned you into a service economy where you buy things from abroad and pass them around. Anyway, it says, uh, Froman says, globalization exists, but we shouldn't conflate globalization with trade agreements. Really, yeah. Trade agreements is how we can shape globalization, and that's what we're trying to do. And he's asked, what does he mean by that? Well, we already live in an open economy, he says, or an open economy. 80% of what we import from TPP countries already comes in duty-free. The other thing, too, that we're told you, 
is that at one time governments got most of their money, actually, from tariffs, from imports. Well, guess who makes up the difference when they don't have those tariffs anymore? You, the taxpayer, does, of course. It says, but we face much higher tariffs in other markets, and these are some of the largest and fastest-growing markets in the world. It says, Froman argues that TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, will give the U.S. industries, one of the industries are left, apart from the military and so on, more access to foreign markets. Granted, there's a trade-off. Other nations get more access to the U.S. for their products. Froman contends that at least happens slowly as tariffs or import taxes drop. Froman says that the tariff on imported trucks from Japan, as an example, won't go away for 30 years. They penalize Japanese for making better trucks, actually. This is on a parallel in textiles. We work very closely with the textile manufacturers in the U.S. to come up with an outcome that they could be comfortable with so that we'll let in clothes coming that are made uh, Vietnam or made in Malaysia, but they've got to use U.S. fabric. I had to laugh when the deal was signed before uh, for the free trade with China years ago, which again opened the, the whole pathway to exporting your jobs and your factories and everything else to China. And uh, that was the con then to interdependence, they call it, you see, where different materials from different countries are all manufactured uh, and then set across, then you put them together with your little sewing machines in your own country, that kind of nonsense. And um, it got so bad that you'd still see things made in the US or made in Canada, but when you looked at it very closely, it was just the, the box that was wrapped in, that caped in, it came in, that's the only thing that was made in, in your own countries. Now, the big boys don't like their work being attacked, of course, because they love to work in secrecy. They give you the names of these guys who are appointed, but they never tell you they're trilateral commission members, the private organizations sworn to destroy the nation states and bring in a globalized system and our global government-type system, you see. And, of course, they also work for Wall Street and all the big Wall Streets across the world, and they have a lot in common with each other, these characters. Anyway, this article here says, the United States is not keen on pursuing a separate free trade deal with Britain if it leaves the European Union. Now, they spent years uh, conning the British public and all the European peoples that would keep their sovereignty completely intact, and that the EU would be a kind of a negotiating table, you see, to iron out problems. They always tell you lies. Since the beginning of man, you see, you've never had any different lies rule, basically. And the best liars, of course, are always picked to be the top members that push all this stuff. And they give themselves fancy titles and they have university degrees just to cover their lying up. And they're taught to be better liars, even from certain things they go through at university, public relations and all that kind of stuff, and marketing. Anyway, it says the United States is not keen on pursuing a separate free trade deal with Britain if it leaves the European Union. Michael Froman said, this guy gets around, eh? This unelected guy. Voters are due to decide by the end of 2017 whether the UK should remain in the EU. An opinion poll showed rising support for leaving the bloc. Uh, Froman's comments Wednesday undermine a key economic agreement deployed by proponents of exit who say Britain would prosper on its own and be able to secure bilateral free trade agreements with trading partners. Well, I think Iceland did it initially. I don't know if they still do, but they, they certainly didn't sink. 
Since the US is Britain's biggest export market after the EU, I wonder what they export, buying more than $54 billion in goods from the UK in 2014. I wonder what they make there now, you know. Unless maybe they, they just got a good idea and do all the, the software for welfare and across the whole planet and export it, since they're such professionals at it now. But anyway, it says, I think it's absolutely clear that Britain has a greater voice at the trade table being part of the EU, being part of a larger economic entity, Froman told Reuters. Adding that EU membership gives Britain more leverage in negotiations. <laughs> I love how they call it lie. And it says, we're not particularly in the market for FTAs with individual countries. We are building platforms, oh, that sounds awfully good, uh, that other countries can join over time. If Britain left the EU, Froman said it would face the same tariffs and trade barriers as other countries outside the US free trade network. So that always give you fear if you pull out of the, of the elaborate deceptions that they've constructed for you, you see. It says, uh, we have no FTA with UK, so they would subject to the same tariffs, such as China, uh, Brazil, or India, he said. Washington has just sealed a trade deal with 11 other Pacific nations and wants to wrap up negotiations with the EU on the Transatlantic Trade Investment Partnership by the end of next year. The US is Britain's second largest export market for vehicles outside the EU. Britain is not part of the EU and therefore not part of the TTIP, British cars exported to the U.S., such as those made by Jaguar Land Rover, would face a 2.5% tariff and could be at a disadvantage to German and Italian-made competitors. I wonder who owns all these companies anyway, so often people outside the country. Uh, Since British exports of fuel and chocolate could also be at a disadvantage if the TTIP abolishes tariffs on those products. Let's give all our freedoms away for, for, for cheap chocolate, right? You can't get good chocolate nowadays, it's all been uh, exposed to a lot of chemicals and like a chocolate tasting and so on, chemicals. So if you want to pull out of these agreements made by these secret organizations, you're very naughty. You're naughty and they'll punish you, you see. And you won't have any cheap chocolate. And then you have this article here. The Trans-Pacific Partnership, a trade deal of denial, omission and sins. So we've got admissions and sins here. Uh, this is after five years of secret negotiations, the full text of the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement has finally come up to open air. Kept secret, watched over carefully by delegates all too distant from their own constituencies, the Trans-Pacific Partnership did not disappoint in its disappointments. The statement made by U.S. Trade Representative Michael Froman, here's the guys all over the place, eh, the Sherpa, on the release of the text is bound to make uh, citizens from any one of the 12 signatory stages cringe. He starts by first claiming that a commitment to transparency was an ongoing process that culminated in the release of the text, complementing a number of additional resources that we have made available on the same website, including state-by-state fact sheets, issue briefs, and chapter summaries. Froman has evidently been busying himself with a different diplomatic process altogether. Fact sheets barely cut the mustard, and he can hardly resort to the term transparency in this, given that Congress insisted in its Trade Priorities and Accountability Act that the President made the proposed text public for at least 60 days before signing the agreement. 
Then Froman comes out with the robust language of competition. He claims that the agreement will position Americans to compete and win in tomorrow's global economy. Oh, is this is a race or something. You always put sports on everything, eh? Same language. Much of this, this piffle involves extolling that grand apparition called Middle America. A reiteration of the Obama line that involves middle class economics. The idea that the country does best when everybody has got a fair shot. Everybody's doing their fair share and everybody's playing by the same rules. This damning nonsense suggests that Froman and his colleagues are dangling a very different agreement in the sale than what they are in practice. The usual magical numbers are paraded. The elimination of 18,000 individual taxes on U.S. products. The obsession with made in USA. This says nothing about translating the matter into actual direct employment to U.S. employees, nor does it bode well for the other signatory states. From the start, it looks it looked like various key areas would be in for a good battering. The environment, for one, was set for a commercially violent whack. The agreement, uh, observes Matthew Rimmer of Queensland University of Technology, confirms some of the worst nightmares of environmental groups and climate activists. Don't you believe it? Because it's all one group running the world. As they should, this is... There is minimal attention to the agreement paid to environmental factors which demonstrate the trade deal would entail a genuine trade-off on matters of climate and degradation. Of the degradation of the public. This is in the case of the US, it's simply not clear whether the TPP environment chapter actually rolls back the May 2007 environmental standards Democrats in Congress impressed upon the Bush administration in making the trade agreements. It goes on to say that as we've already revealed in various chapters released by WikiLeaks, the overwhelming emphasis in the agreement is divesting of power, or should we say more power, in corporate global agents. Froman is certainly right in terms of enforceability. In one sense, corporate interests can well prevail over those of the state. These particular entities being uh, profit maximizers have been granted the means in a more global sense to sue governments for diminished profits, it's not bad. That means they sue you, the taxpayer, folks. You pay for everything, not your government. So these entities can, can sue your government for diminished profits if facing policies pernicious to their trading interests. Again, environmental policy in this regard is set for a pounding. The same can be said for general public interest issues. Health, for instance, or standards of employment. The former makes no suggestion that domestic medical systems have been immunized from the reach of big pharmaceutical interests. Other industries as well, notably those which have detrimental effects on health, such as tobacco, have reasons to celebrate as well, given the latent ambiguity on profit protection. These areas all entail stars that do not bode well with vast money-making ventures. By the way, uh, as they're all getting pushed by the big, same big boys to legalize various addictive drugs, uh, you'll find that too if you say no to your country bringing them in uh, then they can fine you for loss of profit as well if that gets passed these areas all entail science that do not bode well with vast money making ventures the same goes for human rights standards more generally and it goes about human rights and so on the rest of the text with its provisions for, uh, foreshadowed in previous leaked drafts now enables the various parliaments of the 12 states to debate the matter with varying degrees of thoroughness. 
most are likely to take the sauce offered them and vote for it. Well, they're all paid off anyway. I mean, folk generally hang, you often get different politicians, oh no, no, they're waiting to get the big hand out, you see. And then they suddenly change their mind. It's amazing how how these guys have such integrity, but, but they can they can change so quickly on a, on a vital part without ever telling you why they suddenly changed, you see. And there's also a, a manifest unevenness that will prove telling in the vast or in, in the event of implementation. States such as Vietnam have a five-year pass on the issue of implementing complementary labour standards. Well, I think China is much the same today as well. Given that there are also vast differences in the basic minimum wage in Vietnam, the notion that U.S., Australian or Canadian workers would be in an equal position of competition is patent nonsense. Companies will do the rest, exerting a downward pressure on wages on other parts of the zone. And there's no reason why offshoring will continue with greater enthusiasm than ever. Welcome, in other words, to a rather grisly future touched up in Orwellian dress. But that's how we're run, folks, and really always have been, you know. You know, during the Cold War, the military-industrial complex, boys, uh, made a killing during, oh, yeah, a newer, faster, bigger missile, etc., because the Soviets have got this, and this went on forever. And it's all made up nonsense, generally. And in the House of Lords in Britain, which is like the British Senate, you might say, uh, then uh, these guys all had their vested interest in the big private companies that were making all the missiles. So they're always giving the folk fear-mongering, oh, we need new ones, blah, blah. And, and of course, these things would get passed in Parliament, and the taxpayers would fund another useless project. But nothing really changes. Big money, uh, big corporate money uh, runs the world. And this article too, New Zealand welcomes U.S. countdown to, sell, to sign the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal. Uh, so the government on Friday welcomed the U.S. President Barack Obama's announcement of a 90-day notice to Congress before he can sign the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal. The move came a day after release of the full 6,000-page text of the deal, which further polarized debate over the 12-nation deal. I mean, what's the point in having it exposed after it's all done anyway, basically? Even though they've got this cursory um, formality of the final signing inside the U.S. So. We're now on a 90-day countdown after which the U.S. will be able to sign the agreement. Soon after this period expires, we expect partner countries will meet to sign the text, New Zealand Trade Minister Tim Grozer said in a statement. Our own cabinet will shortly be considering the final negotiated outcome authorization to sign and the approval and release of national interest analysis. Once it's signed, the government will begin the parliamentary process of consideration of the NIA, followed by passage of legislation necessary to implement the TPP. As a leading critic of the deal, Auckland University law professor Jane Kelsey said, the TPP was set to become fodder for the U.S. election cycle, as February the 5th next year would be the earliest Obama could sign. Already both sides of Congress were demanding changes, such as withdrawing the potential exclusion of tobacco products from the investor state dispute process, stronger disciplines on so-called currency manipulation, and revisiting the deal on pharmaceuticals, Kelsey said in a statement. 
a new president could well seek to reopen the text as the Obama administration did with the South Korea-U.S. free trade deal uh, when he forced uh, South Korea to accept a supplementary deal four years after it was signed, or it was first signed. And, of course, to give you the wonderful news, all the New Zealand government claims the TPP would boost the New Zealand economy by at least 2.7 billion New Zealand dollars. Critics say it will threaten New Zealand's sovereignty and impinge on the country's ability to buy pharmaceuticals cheaply and legislate on a wide range of public interest issues such as environment, health and safety and industrial relations and so on and so on and so on. But don't think for a second that the left is against this. They always work in tandem, a Hegelian process. Remember too, the system you were really in and going into it much, much deeper is a kind of Soviet-type communistic government agency system running our lives. And above them, you have the big international corporations with a free hand to do what they want. That's how it was planned, you see. Now, what else do we have on this Sherpa? This Mr. Froman, that seems more important than presidents, working for the private club, of course. Uh, that has, a, has been on the go for an awful long time. They created the European Union. Uh, they, created, they want to create the American Union with all the American countries, not just with Mexico and US and Canada, but all of them. And the Caribbean immersion with it too. Uh, and the, the Far Eastern Pacific Rim countries too, a block, you see. And it says, Obama trade rep Michael Froman worked for European Commission Farage, Nigel Farage. That's the European politician uh, from Britain. Reveals live on Breitbart Radio, it says. This is the UK independence leader, leader uh, Nigel Farage, MEP, has revealed that US Trade Representative Michael Froman, who intervened in Britain's British exit debate, that's a Brexit, they call it, B-R-E-X-I-T, last week worked for the European Commission in the organisation's Forward Studies Unit. So he worked for the European Commission, which is an unelected group. Basically, it's, it's not democratic at all. It's nothing to do with democracy in the European Union. It was set up by his predecessors as the, in the, again, Council of Foreign Relations, Lord Alfred Milner Group, Milner Group and, of course, the Royal Chief for International Affairs, CFR, etc. It's all one big, vast group, you see. So he worked uh, for the Commission in the organization's Forward Studies Unit, failing to declare an interest in his statements claiming that Britain should remain in the European Union. Speaking on the BBC's Andrew Marshall at the weekend, Mr. Farage alleged that Mr. Froman had been paid to make his intervention, pointing fingers at the political club that sticks together on issues that leave European taxpayers out of pocket. Now it's emerged that Mr. Froman indeed has been in the pay of the European Commission. It's amazing how they've got their hands out everywhere, these Sherpas, and they can really line their pockets big time. Which recently announced a propaganda task force to keep Britain in the EU. So again, the the British taxpayers and all the European taxpayers were paying for propaganda to keep them all in the EU. Mr. Farage told Breitbart News Daily Radio Live Sirius XM this morning, Froman basically said that if Britain was to leave the European Union, there would be no bilateral trade deal between the United States and the United Kingdom. It's ludicrous. Is it political interference by the Obama regime in the British referendum? 
prior to being Obama's trade envoy, he worked for the European Commission. He worked in Brussels for the Commission's Forward Studies Unit. I'm outraged at his level of interference. In 2013, Mr. Froman spoke at the Commission in Brussels, declaring his huge ambitions to have the corporatist transatlantic trade investment partnership implemented by 2015. His biography lists him as a member of the Forward Studies Unit of the European Commission in Brussels. Political notes that his position in 1992 was an internship. He's an intern, you see. Mr. Farage added, We know that Obama is the first American president that is wholly anti-British. He was the example of Mr. Obama removing the bust of Winston Churchill from the White House as evidence of this. Mr. Obama has also spoken out against Britain's ownership of the Falkland Islands. Obama's ownership of almost the whole Middle East. Anyway, so speaking to Andrew, people are awful, awful hypocrites, aren't they? Speaking to Andrew Marr on the BBC, Mr. Fry said he's clearly been paid to say that, hasn't he? This is the big political club gathered around the Prime Minister, who clearly is in desperate trouble in the referendum. Mr. Farage's claim triggered a hysterical response from some of the most pro-EU news outlets in the UK, including The Independent. This is laughable. America's got a free trade deal with, with Oman. America's got a free trade deal with Australia. Are you seriously telling me that their oldest and closest global ally, with whom they do enormous amounts of business, Mr. Farage asked, concluding, it's an attempt to scaremonger by a paid official. Oh, if you leave the EU, you're, you'll sink into the Stone Age. They're almost that way. It wasn't for all the, the goods are passing around and buying and selling from abroad. Mr. Froman, who told Reuters last week, says, I think it's absolutely clear that Britain has a greater voice at the trade uh, table, being part of the EU, being part of a larger economic entity. We're not particularly in the market for free trade agreements with individual countries. We're building platforms that other countries can join over time. Some countries, mind you, have a trampoline. They don't have a platform. They can just bounce right into it. Bing, you know. We have no free trade agreement with the UK, so they'll be subject to the same tariffs and other trade-related measures as China, Brazil, or India, Mr. Froman concluded, as he threatened Britain. Quite some, eh? This appointee. Quite some. It really is. That's how the world's run. And not by private clubs. Really one big club, actually. With different branches, with the different names of the same thing. Now you can also look up Wikipedia as well. And go through Michael Froman again. This guy who's all over the planet with, uh, is a Sherpa. Taking over from what ones before him, of course. As we've been under this global or globalization push for an awful long time. And it isn't just globalization. We hear these terms, we never think what it means. It means everything, folks, including how your country is going to be run in the future, how you will be run in the future, who you will serve in the future, and what will affect you. Uh, it's a complete reordering of uh, humankind and society. It brings into it the, your, your, the carbon trading, as I said, and carbon penalties for breathing and existing. Uh, it's all basically into the whole thing. And even uh, too many too many of you. See, all these guys believe there's too many of you. And I wish they'd define what they mean by that. But of course they won't. They won't do that. They can't, actually. They could, but they won't. 
Anyway, it says here from Wikipedia that um, it assumed office uh, 21st of June 2013 under Barack Obama and uh, Mariam Sapiro and deputy, maybe that's Mariam Sapiro as a deputy, and preceded by uh, Mariam Sapiro acting and Robert uh, Hollyman as well. So United States trade rep. So it's taken over from those ones. And it goes through his, his basics, where he was born and so on. Nancy Goodman is his wife. And uh, he's got children, Sarah, Jacob, and Benjamin, I guess. Went to Princeton University, University of Oxford, and Harvard University. He's a lawyer who served as a U.S. trade rep since 2013. He previously was assistant to the President of the United States and Deputy National Security Advisor for International Economic Affairs. Nice position, eh? All set up by the same private organization, Supranational. A position position held jointly at the National Security Council and the National Economic Council, where he served as United States Sherpa, it says Sherpa, to the G7, he helped organize all of that and all of the stuff. They would go there for their formal signings. That's what they really go for. Uh, G8 and the G20 summits of economic powers. On May 2nd, 2013, President Obama nominated him to succeed Ambassador Ron Kirk as a U.S. trade rep. He was confirmed June 19th, 2013. Air Life Education grew up in a Jewish family, San Rafael, and graduated from the Branson School. So Teen Truman was active in B'nai B'rith, youth organization, that's a Jewish sect, uh, uh, Freemasonry, uh, Sons of the Covenant, I think it means, and serving as the 56th international president of that organization uh, in 1980. And spoke at the, the BBYO International Convention in Washington, D.C. That's a B'nai B'rith youth organization. In February 2013, received... Uh, an A.B. in Public and International Affairs from the Woodrow Wilson School, Princeton University, 85, uh, a, a D.Phil in International Relations entitled um, The Development of the Idea of Detente in American Political Discourse from Oxford University and a giant D. from Harvard Law School where he was a classmate of Barack Obama. It's amazing how small the world is, only. And also where he was an associate of Obama's on the Harvard Law Review. And it says the article was imported in part or full from the biographical directory of the United States Congress, and so on. He served as liaison of the American Bar Association's Central and East European Law Initiative Legal Assistance Program in Albania. Hmm. He was also a member of the Forward Studies Unit of the European Commission in Brussels. In January 1993 and December 1995, Froman was Deputy National Security Advisor for International Economic Affairs in the United States National Economic Council, a position held jointly at the National Security Council and the National Economic Council. He was Deputy Assistant Secretary for Eurasia and the Middle East, where his work was related to economic policy towards the former Soviet Union, Central and Eastern Europe, as well as economic components of the Dayton Accords. Senior member at the Council of Foreign Relations, naturally, and a a resident fellow at the German Marshall Fund. Spent much of his career within the United States Department of the Treasury. He was the Chief of Staff under Robert uh, Rubin 
in January 97 and served until 1999. Then the Clinton administration, Froman followed Robert Rubin from the Treasury Department to Citigroup. He was President and Chief Executive Officer of City Insurance and Head of Emerging Markets Strategy at Citigroup. He received more than $7.4 million from January 2008 to 2009 alone. They really look after their own, don't they? These guys really know what the agenda is. $7.4 million in a year. Froman and Obama were not in touch after their time at Harvard until Obama's 2004 Senate run when Froman volunteered to advise Obama on policy. And that's what they'll often say with the trilateral members. They'll bring some forwards to, to advise you on things, you know, because Obama's told who his boss is going to be. So anyway, it says here, uh, he joined the White House for a second run in 2009, went back to the position he held during the Clinton years as Deputy Assistant to President and Deputy National Security Advisor for International Economic Affairs, at the National Security Council and National Economic Council until 2013. In 2013, he was nominated to serve as U.S. Trade Representative. Financial documents provided to the Senate Finance Committee showed he had nearly half a million dollars in an offshore fund at Euclid House on the Cayman Islands. I'm sure you had a few one, uh, maybe elsewhere as well, which Obama had once described as the biggest tax scam in the world. Well, if you're all French, you me exceptions, I'm sure. In 2013, Congressional Testimony, Representative Kevin Brady, a Republican from Texas, criticized the EU low-carbon fuel standard where oil from tar sands is classified by itself due to its hybrid carbon polluting impact compared to regular oil as discriminatory, environmentally unjustified, and so on and so on. To which Froman responded, I share your concerns. That's kind of like Clinton, where he felt her pain. Uh, but anyway, as I say, um, he's also a member of Trilateral, Trilateral Commission and so on. Been involved in all the settings up of the big trading blocks, all of the big agreements, and awfully handsomely paid for it, of course, naturally. And I'll put all these articles up tonight for your perusal if you can keep to remember. Knowing what's really going on is awfully boring. I mean, there's nothing exciting in it. There's no James Bond stuff and sexy women and all that stuff. It's just it's how intelligence is gathered. You know, intelligence agencies still had departments across the world where they have paper clippings from all the newspapers on the planet. They save them all. Not just electronic, you see, it's also the old format of newspaper clippings. And you've got to look like a detective, as I say, at all the evidence and come to your own conclusions. And when you find ties of, between things, that goes down as evidence pointing to something else, you see. Everything points to things. But we're run by appointees that belong to private organizations that tend to keep themselves very, very secretive. And anyone who's a big player in this whole global movement with economics, the military, or anything else is a member of this private club. They're the big movers and shakers. And they're their boys and gals uh, through all the central banking systems as well. And the IMF 
in the Bank for International Settlements and every other major world institute. And they've called themselves institutions too because it sounds more more normally. They've always been there, haven't they? They've always been there. No, they haven't. They're a private club. They pay themselves awfully handsomely, as I say. And, uh, and they're deciding your fate. You don't elect them. There's no complaints department. Hasn't been set up, never will be. And other members run your central banking systems, eh? But you think you've got democracy because you can go get a sex change. See how easy it is to mislead everybody, eh? Divert you all from knowing. But to know, you must care to know. And lots of folk today simply don't care. Sad, isn't it? Well, I've got lots of snow outside now. Because of global warming, of course. Or maybe it's down to climate change. Well, I guess it's true to the extent we always get winter here in Canada. And I guess it's normal. There's nothing drastic about it. It's just normal climate change. But everything you turn on today sounds like a big crisis, doesn't it? Oh, there's going to be 20 inches of snow falling. Or, or 20 inches of rain, you know. doesn't quite pan out, though. Every time it's a hurricane, hurricane season, oh, you're going to get the mother of all hurricanes. It doesn't happen either. Because the big signing for the COP agreement, COP21, it's not too far off. It'll change everything, folks. From Hamish Mansell from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. May your God or your God school with you.